Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? It's me again. <laughs> Good to see you all. Uh, welcome to church. Uh, it's my absolute joy to be bringing the Word of God for us this morning. Uh, I want to say congratulations. We've reached week seven of our 10-week sermon series. You can go ahead and pat yourself on the back. Um, and take out your sermon notes, your Bible apps, um, your Bible. We're going to go straight to God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning, and we assume the position of the learner, and we sit at the feet of Jesus, God, and we listen. We listen to that which you are about to speak to us this morning, God. We listen out for your still, small voice. God, we say, speak to us. We come humbly, O oh God. Teach us, lead us, guide us. Show us your will for our lives, that we may live our lives in such a way that it will bring bring glory and honor to your name. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, today we're looking at commandment number four, which is honor the Sabbath. And uh, much of the research in this message that I'm sharing today has been uh, is, is accredited to J. John, uh, an awesome author and evangelist who wrote a book called The Ten, um, but also um, some of the resources from our good friends over at Bible Project. I love Bible Project. They're awesome. But today's commandment number four, says, honor the Sabbath. Here's what the Bible says, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. And so the heavens and the earth were completed in all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Exodus 28 to 11 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave, or your cattle or your resident who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God bless the reading of his word this morning. I want to start by saying that the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel uh, after years of slavery in Egypt. They've been liberated and set free from slavery and captivity in Egypt, and they're journeying under the leadership of Moses into the Promised Land. The Ten Commandments were to govern the way that they were going to live in the Promised Land. Now, at first glance, we can look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, this doesn't mean anything to us today. This stuff was written 3,500 years ago. How could this moral code from late Bronze Age peasants teach us a now politically correct, app-filled 21st century world? Author and evangelist J. John says it beautifully. This is what he says. The Ten Commandments come from God and express His guidelines for how all human beings of whatever century and whatever culture are to live. There is an extraordinary clarity and timelessness to these words. It requires no great mental acrobatics or no new self-help hack to believe that they are indeed God-given, universal values and instructions for all people and all time, with the intention of enriching our lives rather than eroding our contemporary progress. And so if you would let it, the Ten Commandments could really teach us show us and reveal how we ought to live our lives in community with one another. And whilst the Ten Commandments can often judge us and show us who we really are, they do so in order to turn us to God's grace and His forgiveness that is found in Jesus. Now, when we receive that grace and that forgiveness, the Ten Commandments that pointed us out how much we needed God's grace and forgiveness takes on a new role. They become our guide. They encourage us, 
inspire us, move us, remind us that who we start out to be is not who we end up becoming. Come on, somebody. The Ten Commandments are meant to point us to Jesus. I think Pastor Haley put it beautifully a couple of weeks ago when she said, let the Ten Commandments, let the commandments tutor you to the feet of Jesus. Not to the feet of condemnation, not to the feet of shame, not to the feet of guilt, not to the feet of hiding, to the feet of Jesus, because it's there where you will experience healing, forgiveness, breakthrough, and freedom. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't stop too early. Go all the way to the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what's the big deal about Sabbath? What is the big deal about Sabbath? What does it mean? What is it all about? The word Sabbath is something that we see in the Hebrew Scripture or in the Old Testament. Uh, it means to rest. Now, there are two Hebrew words that the Bible uses to refer to rest. The first word is Shabbat, which translated into English is Sabbath. This word Shabbat or Sabbath means rest. It means to stop completely from working. It is this idea of working coming to a finish. For example, when you clock out at the end of your shift, you're finishing your work and there is no work to do until you clock back in the next day. So Shabbat means to cease from labor, to stop working. The second Hebrew word that's used to refer to rest is the word nuach. This word means to dwell or to settle. It's not the same as finishing for the day. Nuach is this idea of dwelling or settling. It's like that moment when you're unpacking your bags because you're staying at grandma's house for the holidays. That, that my friend, like that thing that you're doing there is nuach. So Sabbath means to stop working and nuach means settle or dwell. Both of these words uh, used to refer to rest. Now, there is much correlation between sh uh, Shabbat and Nuach because right at the beginning of time, God introduces us to this rhythm, this idea of Shabbat and Nuach when He created the world. On day one, God created light. Day two, these division of the air and the sea. Day three, we've got land and plants popping up all over the place. Day four, God placed the sun, moon, and stars in the sky. Day five, these birds and fish. Day six, these livestock and animals and creatures that move along the ground. And on day six, God created mankind in his own image. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God saw all that he had made and that it was very good. And then on day seven, God rested from all of his work. In the creation account, we see that God has been working for six days to create the world, and then he rests on the seventh day. Six days, he's bringing order to the chaos, and on the seventh day, he takes the time to Shabbat from his work. Now, what I want you to see here is that in just a few verses later, we read that God creates mankind, and then he rests them, settles them, he nuaks them in the garden with them. There is a link between Shabbat and Nuak. They are meant to work together. Church, God sets the rhythm for all of us to follow in the beginning of time. He leads by example as he rests from labor, Shabbat, and then he dwells and settles with his people. He Nuak with his people. At the creation point, God communicates to us the importance of rest. God's intention for Sabbath, rest, is unity with God himself, with creation, and with each other. And so he sets a regular rhythmic time of rest. God establishes a pattern of resting on the seventh day. Now, unfortunately, as we read on in the biblical narrative, we find that Israel reject God's plan for rest. Instead of patterning themselves after the pattern and the rhythm that God has already set for the people, uh, they constantly turn away from God. They worship false idols. They ignore God's instructions and they rebel against God. But in spite of all of this, God continues to find a way to nuach, to rest, 
to settle, to dwell with his people, uh, even if it meant through sacrificial systems and rituals in the tabernacle and in the temple. In the tabernacle, everything that's happening in the temple and in the tabernacle are being patterned after the Garden of Eden. It's the place where God and humans settled. It's the place where they dwell together. At the heart of Sabbath was God's invitation for people to trust him. But the problem is the people struggled to trust God and accept his invitation. And so we get to the book of Malachi and we start asking the question, will Shabbat ever be received the way that God intended? You see, you don't need to look far to realize that this world we live in is the complete opposite of Shabbat. It's the opposite of rest. Society is in a constant state of chaos. Everybody is busy trying to do something. Everybody is busy trying to get somewhere. Everybody is busy trying to achieve something and do something. It's normal for us to hear things like, oh, I'm too busy. Oh man, time flew by so fast. Man, this week has gone by so fast. Life has gotten so ruthless that we can't get out of the office, uh, that we can get out of the office, but still have our emails going off in our pocket at home. Working nine to five is not even a thing anymore because our office goes with us wherever we go. Studies have even shown that we work hard and we earn more nowadays, but we don't even have time now to enjoy the money that we make and the wealth that we've accumulated for ourselves. And I bet that if someone wants to ask you, how have you been, that you probably responded with, oh, busy. <laughs> and some of us are so busy that if you were asked to write down right now what you needed to do, you'd probably go through paper and paper of different things that you needed to do because we've all got friends to call, appointments to make, books to read, exercise to do, emails to respond to, statuses to update, projects to finish, hobbies to pursue. And the thing that is so twisted about this rhythm and pattern that we've just adopted for ourselves is that when we're not busy doing something, we start asking ourselves, what's wrong with me? When did we start feeling guilty about taking a rest? You see, when we refuse to cooperate with God's pattern and rhythm for our body's proper maintenance, we start running the risk of malfunction. Friend, you were not created for malfunction. You were not created to just work yourself away and run yourself into the ground. You are created in the image of God. The God who created this universe and spoke this world into existence created you in the likeness of His image. It means that rest is woven into the very fabric of who you are and who we are created to be. And so how are we supposed to live our lives patterned after the rhythm of God in a world that encourages us to do the opposite of that? You know, a few weeks ago, I went shopping at Countdown and I was in the toiletries aisle. I picked up a bag of toilet rolls and I threw it in the trolley. And then out of nowhere, I decided I'm gonna try and stand on my heels like this. And so I tuck my feet under the trolley and I stand on my heels, and the most embarrassing thing happened. I fell in to the stack of toilet papers that was behind me. And the worst thing about it is that you had this worker who was, like, filling in the shelves, and he was like, he definitely saw what was happening. And you know what happens, you know, when, you, when something embarrassing happens, but you get mad, and you're like, what, what are you looking at? That, that kind of thing starts to bubble up, like, what, my TV, you should be looking this way. Like, you get angry. And I went away from that situation, and I thought, what was that all about? Why did I feel that way? What made me want to even stand on my heels? And I realized, church, I was tired. You know, I hadn't been sleeping well all week. I felt restless. I was working all week. I was constantly thinking about work. I was taking work home, you name it. And so because of it, I was tired. I was more irritable. I was starting to do things like stand on my heels. When you're tired, you do all sorts of crazy things. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No. We've got a lot of holy people in the church. <laughs> But I hope you get what I mean. When you go on living your life pattern after the world's pattern and the world's rhythm, 
you're going to find yourself tired all the time. You're going to find yourself burning out. You're going to find yourself hurried. You'll be busy all the time. You'll always need more hours in the day. You'll always have things to do. And that kind of a rhythm will only leave you restless and tired. And so this morning, I want to share some practical thoughts with you that I pray would help you to rest. And we're not going to get into the whole theological dissertation about what day is meant to be Sabbath. Like, that's a discussion for another time. But today, I just want to share some practical points with you to help you to rest. Number one, relax. Chill. Relax. Take your right arm and go and say to the person next to you, relax. Right arm. <laughs> Amen. Here's what I want to say. Don't get so caught up in trying to figure out all the rules and adhere to all of the regulations around what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. Does that mean I can't turn on the fridge? Does this mean that I can't cook because it's Sabbath? Does this mean I can't drive to where I need to be because it's working on the Sabbath? Does this mean I can't have people over because it's Sabbath? Does this mean I can't brush my teeth on the Sabbath? You may ask me this morning, what does it look like to practice rest in this modern day and age? Does it mean attending weekend services? Does it mean turning off work emails? Does it mean feeding the poor and helping the homeless? Does it matter what day we observe as Sabbath? Am I allowed to go to the beach and just relax and chill with my family on the Sabbath? Relax. That kind of thinking is going to send you down the way of religion. God's not after religion. He's after relationship. And the truth is, Shabbat would most definitely include those activities. But as we read God's word, we see that emphasis is placed on the purpose of Shabbat rather than the specific rules and regulations of observing it. Because even though the, this wisdom, the, the wisdom of this commandment remains, and even though this commandment is significant even to us today, it's more than that. It's an opportunity for us to trust God and enjoy His presence. You know, the religious leaders in the, in the Bible, they came up with 1,521 other rules to prevent them from breaking this commandment. Here's what they came up with. You couldn't cook food on the Sabbath. They even said that you couldn't sew on a button on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath. You couldn't even carry anything that weighed more than a fig leaf. I mean, I, that, that probably means I can't even, probably wouldn't be able to wear a false tooth because that weighs more than a fig leaf. And so rest was more about working hard not to break the commandment as opposed to actual rest. Jesus comes along, and not only does he heal on the Sabbath and pick corn on the Sabbath and cast demons out on the Sabbath, he just does things that absolutely go against what the religious rulers put in place. And so when they start to criticize him about it, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for the man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't do away with the Sabbath, though, because it wasn't about whether the Sabbath should be observed, but it was about what that observance entailed. In other words, he's wanting them to understand that this commandment about the Sabbath was given to liberate the people, not enslave them. When you start getting into territory where you start getting caught up in rules and regulations around what you should be doing on the, on the Sabbath, the, the when, the what, the how, and the where, remind yourself, the Sabbath was given to liberate me, not to enslave me. Ask yourself, am I stepping into relationship with God territory or is this becoming religion territory? So the first thing is relax. Second one, remove. Take your left hand, nudge the person to your left, remove. Remove distractions. Remove things that would disturb your rest. Remove things that would cause you to work. Remove distractions. Now, I know some of us in the room, we can probably take this to the extreme and start talking about, oh, but what if people are a distraction? Can I remove them? Or can I remove my, my wife or my husband because they're a distraction on my Sabbath? If that's you, then you need to come and see me after the service. I will pray for you because that's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about creating a day of distinction by removing things that would normally get you shifting into work mode. 
If you're constantly getting work emails on your phone on your Sabbath, remove the app or turn the phone off. If you're constantly on social media or TV, why not give them a rest too? If it's going to leave you drained or exerting energy instead of resting, then simply remove it. Uh, you see, Sabbath for me is on Fridays. It's a day where I get to rest. It's been a couple of weeks now, but one of the things I've started to do is turn my phone off at thurs- on Thursday at 5 p.m. and then turn it back on again on Friday at 5 p.m. And t- I'm telling you, it's so hard because my phone is like a distraction. And we, we, I constantly feel like, you know, you're not supposed to have your phone off. You know, what if, what if the church needs you? What if your family needs you? And you see, in switching off my phone, I'm making the conscious decision to trust God to take care of anything that would come up in this 24 hours while I'm having a rest. And I tell you, the first time I did this, there was zilch. No messages, no phone calls, no nothing. And honestly, it hurt the pride because you get roped into this misconception that says people need you. They don't. But then God reminds you that if creation didn't turn to custard when he took a rest, my friend, it's not going to turn to custard when you take a rest. (laughs) Make it your priority to remove things that would often make you do the opposite of rest on your day off. So relax, remove. And the third thing, remember. Remember. Remember that it's about God. Keeping the Sabbath and refraining from work was one of the distinguishing marks of the Jewish people in the Bible. It was what set them apart from the world. Not only that, but there is no denying that in their resting, it would have influenced the pattern and rhythms of many people who came in contact with them. You know, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right after Jesus says this, there is a massive debacle that breaks out. You know, the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, and so Jesus responds to them and clarifies the true definition of the Sabbath. He says, wait a minute, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You see, it's no mistake that Jesus is talking about, come to me all who are weary, and then straight after that, there's a debacle about Sabbath happening. Jesus is clarifying the meaning of Sabbath. He's pointing out the fact that the people have become burdened by the weight of trying to observe the Sabbath by absolutely crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's um, with the commandment. And the problem with this is they're missing God's intent behind the commandment. Jesus wanted them to know that the people are in need of rest. The people need to stop work, Shabbat, and be present and dwell with God, Noach. But Jesus takes it to the next level and is saying, I'm here to fulfill that rest. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that was through Jesus. Jesus is God's rest, and they that want this rest can come to him and find the rest that God intended. In other words, the only one who would be able to restore the rhythm of all of creation was Jesus. That means that through Jesus, we are able to live our lives as if restoration has already taken place. We are able to break away and step away from the broken rhythms and patterns of life in order to honor God and enjoy His presence and at the same time extend rest to the rest of the world. You need to remember today that rest is all about God. We Shabbat in order to Nuach. We cease from work in order to dwell and settle and rest in God's presence. When we make the decision to accept God's invitation and come to Him and rest, we become places where the presence of God can dwell. Remember, the Sabbath is all about God. So you relax, remove, remember, and the fourth point is replenish. Now, this point here might be the most ridiculous thing that you hear this morning, 
But Sabbath is a day of physical non-productivity. It's a day of rest, replenish, and recharge for our bodies. You're allowing your body to rest and recover from all of the week's work. And so because of that, you should feel absolutely replenished and blessed in your rest. Perhaps replenished for you is reading. Perhaps for some of you, it's listening to music. Perhaps for others, it's spending time with family. Maybe it's attending church services and fellowshipping with the family of God. For others, it may be taking a walk in the park, uh, absolutely um, appreciating nature. Maybe it's having a picnic with family, regardless of what it may be. Hear me good when I say that Sabbath is supposed to replenish you, not drain you and leave you tired. And so whenever you find yourself struggling to Shabbat, I want you to relax, remove, remember, and replenish. And so you put that all together and you got yourself a TikTok that you can take home today. (laughs) You can turn to the person next to you and say, I may not be able to TikTok, but I sure do know how to Shabbat. (laughs) Sharon, can you join us on the keys? You see, the thing about this commandment is that it speaks to a fundamental matter. And this is what the commandment is asking of you today. Who is in control of your time? Who is the Lord of your time? This commandment goes far beyond cultural practices, what we do and how we do it on the Sabbath. It's a matter of lordship. Who is the Lord of our time, our lives, and our culture, and the rhythms and the patterns that we reflect? When we Shabbat, When we purposefully participate in this meaningful pause, not only are we making room for God to take up residence in our lives and communities, we are participating in the wonderful story of redemption. But also, we are proclaiming to ourselves and to the world that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. We never like to close our services without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't quite understand where to find the rest that you're talking about because my life has always been about the hustle. I'm going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and I can't seem to find the rest for my soul that you've been speaking about today. Where does it start? My friend, it starts in a relationship with Jesus. Here's what you need to know. The truth is God loves you. He created you. And he created you to know him. He created you to enjoy relationship and fellowship with him. But the Bible talks about a barrier that keeps us disconnected from God. You see, that barrier, that disconnect, is caused by this thing called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. It's that sin that separates us from God. It's that sin that disconnects us from God. But also the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But my friend, it didn't end there because God in his grace, he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I did not have to pay that penalty. The Bible says God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I we're due for our sin. And it's as simple as this. We did the crime, but Jesus paid the fine. And right now, God is extending to every single one of us his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. But we must repent. 
we must turn away from sin. To turn is, is a 180 degree turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus for everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to experience that eternal rest that only he can give. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And I want you to lift your hand and then you can put it down again. And you know what? You don't have to be afraid or ashamed up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we want you to know that we've got your back and we're standing with you. And so if that's you this morning and you're making that decision, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. You can raise your hand and then you can put it down again. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you. I see that 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 hand. Here's one more thing that I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And my friend, I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.